Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. So we are studying Hebrews, and just before we get into the book of Hebrews, I want to just、uh, open with a comment、uh, about the book. And、uh, that, the comment that I want to make is this.、Uh, actually, let me first read the scripture and then make the comment. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul said this that these things happened unto them, that is, ancient Israel, for examples, and they are written for our. Admonition. So it happened to them, but it's written down for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. And this really is the lens through which I want us to study the book of Hebrews. That there was something happening to this Hebrew community back in the first century. And, and there, this thing has been written down for us, upon whom the ends of the world have come. Now, the argument of the book of Hebrews, and the author is unknown.、Uh, if you ask me, my opinion is that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the author of the book of Hebrews. And the very earliest records we have,、uh, manuscripts, bundled Hebrews with Paul's epistles. And in fact, if you have a, a King James Bible, it might even say the epistle、uh, of the Apostle Paul to the Hebrews. It's modern scholarship. That has really taken a strong line to say it's not the author, or Paul is not the author. I think the first、um, scholar to say that, or to question Pauline authorship, was Origen. And he didn't question that the content came from Paul. In fact, he actually said he believed that it was Pauline content, but he didn't believe that the writing was Paul's. It was, it's too sophisticated Greek. 
it's a almost classical level Greek as opposed to Koine Greek, the common Greek that everybody spoke. Uh, this is a very high level Greek. And because of that, he leaned more towards Luke as the author, which is possible. Uh, I'm not going to say no. Um, but certainly he acknowledged that it was Pauline content and Pauline thinking and Pauline theology. Uh, and so that's what, that's what really matters. And, and to a certain extent, Hebrews is more like a sermon that has been then uh, written down. And so it's quite possible that Paul gave this sermon, Luke took really good notes, and then you know, together they collaborated to put it in, in a letter. Uh, but if you hear me say Paul, it's because my belief is that it is uh, Paul. There are some other theories of other people who might have written it. None of them really hold water. The main argument against Pauline authorship is the, the uh, sophistication of the Greek language. And then there's another argument which we'll come to near the end of our uh, study, uh, where Paul seems to separate himself. Well, I'll get to it, but he seems to, I should say, he includes himself with the, the, those who receive the message from the apostles. And they believe that Paul would never do this because he was quite adamant that he received the gospel directly from Jesus Christ. So we are looking at this through the lens of it's an example for us upon whom the ends of the world have come. And certainly everything that we're just coming from in, in the book of Revelation, we want to bring all of that knowledge into the book of Hebrews. Now the argument in Hebrews, I think, is best captured in this verse in chapter 2. And so we're going to read chapter 1. And chapter 1, there's an argument that's being made uh, by the author that, that is concluded in the first part of chapter 2. And it's really the argument for the whole book. And he says this, Therefore, we ought to give the more, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And so this is the argument of the book of Hebrews. What's happened is uh, this Jewish community, this uh, Jewish Christians, who are in Rome and who are facing intense persecution, uh, most likely by uh, Nero, the Emperor Nero. And, and this persecution is intense and it's, in, it's, it's getting hotter. And Christianity is basically an illegal religion, but Judaism is not. Judaism is a religion that's actually san sanctioned by the state. And so as this persecution is heating up, these uh, Hebrew believers are pulling away from the Gentile believers, and they're actually pulling away from Christ, and they want to resort to or, or revert back to Judaism, because it's basically it's the same God. The God of Judaism is the same God of the New Testament. Uh, however, they would not have to suffer persecution, and so they're going backward, or they're being tempted to go backward, to adopt Judaism, which is the sanctioned religion, to reject Christ and the worship of Christ and in that way escape persecution. And, and the author here, which I believe is Paul, is making a very powerful argument of the superiority of Jesus Christ. And he's going to name a number of things that in the Judaic uh, ethic and, and belief system are highly regarded. And then he's going to show them how Jesus Christ is higher. Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is superior. So what are you going back to? Stand and face whatever you have to face. And this is a very uh, relevant message for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. And, and why is that? Well, let's just read a little bit here. Where in Revelation 1-3, you remember, and I, I emphasize this many times, 
that blessed is he that reads and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand so we have to be careful lest at any time we let these things slip and so we have been given a great gift and you know Hebrews best understanding we have is it was written before 70 AD because the author never mentions the destruction of the temple and in fact he speaks about the sacrifices and, and the worship in the temple that, that shows that the temple was still extant, the, the temple was still standing um, and yet we know that all of that was, was destroyed and after that about two decades later John was given the revelation of Jesus Christ and so if this argument is being made to the Hebrews that what they have they better hold on to because it is superior than anything that has come before how much more does the argument in Hebrews apply to us who have the revelation directly from Jesus Christ so let's keep that in mind as we go through this study he said uh, and, and notice this this is red letter in the King James he says I am he that lives and was dead and behold I am alive forevermore so he, he, he went through it he's not asking us to do something he hasn't done but he, he lives now he's first born from the dead he was dead and he's alive forevermore amen and he has the keys of hell and of death of the grave and of death and he says this write these things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter so John <clears throat> is being asked to write he's being asked to write these things and so even though the book of Revelation is it's a book that's written to us we have to understand that much of it is red letter much of it is, is the actual words of Jesus Christ that that John penned for us and then the whole thing is the revelation of Jesus Christ that John penned for us so we need to have that very very clearly in mind that um, where it says right and we have this written book it is actually the word of God directly so here Hebrews begins <clears throat> and it says God who at sundry times at various times and in diverse manners in different ways in time past a spoken time past unto the fathers by the prophets so so God actually has a relationship with man and he has a relationship with Israel and so he has spoken in time past unto the fathers that is the nation of Israel God does not you know there are some uh, doctrines out there that says that God has prophets that go to every nation and that's all nonsense God has a covenant with Israel and all the prophets come through Israel and so he spoke to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his son and that's why I was saying earlier you know if this was true for the believers in 70 before 70 AD how much more true is it for the believers after 95 AD after the revelation has been given to John and we have the whole corpus we have the whole body of text with all the prophets and, and the, the, the final, the buckle on the belt, as I called it, that pulls everything together, the book of Revelation, given to Jesus Christ, and given to us directly from Jesus Christ, has in these last days spoken to, unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. 
And so Jesus Christ is the heir. He, he is the heir of everything. He, he is the one that inherits the whole universe. In fact, the whole, he created everything, and everything was created for him. And so this is, this is how great Jesus Christ is. He, is uh, he has been appointed heir by God of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Now back to Revelation here 22, uh, the book ends by saying, And he, that is Jesus Christ, said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. This is reality. If, if wherever in, you know, there's so much uh, fake news and all this sort of uh, different interpretations and, and different ideologies, if we want to know what reality is, it's the book of Revelation. And so this study that we've just come through, this helps us understand reality. And the God, the, the creator of all the whole universe says, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets, it's, it's one God, it's one voice. So in various uh, times, in different ways, he's spoken to the prophets, never giving any of them the whole story. All of them had a part of the puzzle. Revelation, coming from Jesus Christ, allows us to put all the pieces together and see that it truly is one God with one voice, consistent throughout, but it is the Son who gives us the whole picture. The prophets are inferior to the Son. They, they only had a part of the picture. So he's the Lord God of the holy prophets, sent his angel to show unto his servants things which must shortly be done. So we have an understanding of what the future holds as a result of the revelation. Again, notice the red letter. These are directly words spoken directly from Jesus Christ. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And so this is the connection between Revelation and Hebrews. The Hebrews, and we'll see shortly in our study, that, that the Apostle Paul, I believe it is, says to them, you have not yet resisted unto blood. So Nero was, was the emperor. He was heating up the persecution of Christians, but none of them had yet been martyred. So, so they were in front of the martyrdom. Just as today, we are in front of the martyrdom. It is that the world is turning, and it's turning against Christians. And, and Christians are being um, persecuted. They're, they're, they're getting the short end of the stick. They're, they're being uh, certainly, uh, I'm speaking of the West actually, because this is not true in the East. In the East they are actually being martyred. But here in the West, our freedom of speech is being curtailed. But we have not yet resisted unto blood. We're, we're in front of the martyrdom, just as the Hebrews were in front of the martyrdom. And the challenge for the Hebrews was not to let the things that they, the revelations that they had received from the Son, not to let them slip. And this is exactly where we are today, that we've been given these precious, precious words of God. And, and God is telling us, do not let them slip. I'm telling you everything beforehand so that you can hold on to it and be faithful. So he says, blessed is he that keeps the sayings of this prophecy of this book. So remember how the book began. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. This, this revelation belongs to Jesus Christ. It was given to him by God the Father to show his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And these things which must shortly come to pass, initially, they're ugly. And then they get uglier. And then they get really, really, really ugly. And then there's beauty for eternity. So this, this spot in the middle, it, it's like a small inconvenience. And Jesus Christ is saying to us, hold on. Hold on to eternal life. Put up with the inconvenience. 
because the glory that I'm going to reveal in you is beyond comprehension and it's eternal. It's beyond comprehension and it's eternal. Hold on. So he says here, um, he, John bear record of the testimony, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things which he saw. So all of this is faithful. Now, we studied Luke earlier. Listen to how this ties in. And again, we want to make sure, we want to, I want to make sure that Hebrews is relevant. Luke uh, 21, 7, they asked him saying, Master, but when shall these things be? He's, he's giving them the prophecy that we got in full detail in the book of Revelation. But prior to Revelation, we have Matthew 24, the Olivet Prophecy, and here's repeated in Luke 21. And they want to know, well, when's all of this going to happen? And what sign will there be when these things shall come to pass? And he said, be careful. Take heed that you be not deceived. So Satan is the deceiver. He's going to be deceiving. For many shall come in my name, saying I am Christ. So in, the, in this final hour, this final time, uh, Christ is going to be the topic of conversation. Christianity is going to be the issue. It's what version of Christianity is the true version. And we have to be careful not to be deceived. And Revelation gives us the whole plan so that anybody who does not speak according to the whole counsel of God, we reject. But there are going to be people who are going to claim to be speaking on behalf of Christ, claim that Jesus Christ is a prophet, claim that uh, you know they believe in Christ and all the prophets, but they're deceivers. And so he says here, Many shall come in my name a lot, saying I'm Christ, and the time draws near. So it's going to be clear that we're coming up to the end. Do not go after them. <laughs> Don't follow them. You know, it's the same message in Hebrews. Don't go backwards. Hold on to what you've been given. Be faithful to the end. Don't get distracted. Don't go the wrong way. Do not go after them. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, so a lot of civil unrest, are you hearing about that? Uh, have you heard about war in Syria? Might, you know, America might attack Syria. Or Russia might get involved. Or constantly, in the, every time you turn on the news, there's different wars and rumors of wars. And also unrest. It's almost like every, every country has civil unrest. Do not be terrified. It's going to be terrifying for those who don't understand what's going on. For us, we mustn't be terrified. So it's, a, it's an age of terror, but the Christian must not be terrified. For these things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet. So everybody's going to be thinking it's the end, it's the end, everything's falling apart. And there's actually going to be people saying Christ is the Messiah uh, and the end is now. He said, they'll go after them. The end is not yet. Then he said unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in different places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights, and great signs shall there be from heaven. This is the sixth seal. This is what we're looking for to say, okay, now Christ is coming. But he says, but before the sixth seal, before all of this, what's going to happen? There's the martyrdom of the saints. There's the persecution of the saints. So before Christ returns, so we're going to have these wars and rumors of wars, these, the four horsemen are galloping all over the earth, uh, and particularly in the Middle East, uh, but it's not yet. There's going to be this persecution of the saints before Christ acts. And we saw that when we studied Revelation 6. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues or the assemblies and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. So this is in red letter, this is reality, 
This is what Jesus Christ tells us is going to happen. That if we thought the persecution that the Hebrews were facing was intense, in this final hour when Satan knows he's running out of time, this is when it is extremely intense. And Christ says, you know what? This is an opportunity. It's going to be an opportunity for you. It shall turn to you for a testimony. So Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. John was a faithful witness. He bore witness of record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the saints are martyred because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And they gain the victory over the beast and over the devil because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is our highest honor. This is our whole purpose, is to testify, to be witnesses of the, the divinity, the prophethood, the, the deity of Jesus Christ. So it's going to be an opportunity for testimony. Because of that, because we understand just how powerful this is, how meaningful it is, how much it's valued by God, because of this, settle it therefore in your hearts not to meditate what before what you shall answer. So we are not going to be terrified. We're going to hold our course. We're going to hold our testimony. We're going to keep these things that have been given to us, lest at any time we should let them slip. He says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. And this is exactly, if you read Acts uh, 6 to 8, uh, we, we actually studied Acts. If you go back and maybe review uh, chapter 8, where Stephen was given this mouth, and none of his adversaries could resist him. And it was a testimony for him. And it resulted in his martyrdom. So we just, we cannot be these types of Christians who are trying to hang on to this physical life, which we know it's appointed unto all men once to die. We know this. And yet we're trying to hold on to it. No. What we're trying to hold on to is the truth of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is how we gain victory. And so he's going to fill us with the Holy Spirit and fill us with wisdom and the ability to testify to the reality. And that's why we have to be a workman studying the Word of God so we can put all of this together and be able to testify to the Word of God. And you shall be, be betrayed both by parents and brethren. It's such a frightening time that everybody just starts thinking for themselves, just trying to stay alive. Parents will betray children. Children will be betray parents. And brethren will be betraying one another. He tells us that in Matthew 24 as well. And kinsfolks and friends. And some of you shall they cause to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. So some of us will be martyred. Uh, and again, we're in front of the martyrdom now, just as the Hebrews were. They had not yet resisted unto blood. We have not yet resisted unto blood, although in the Middle East that's, that's very different. They're, they are being slaughtered in the Middle East. And so if there are any believers over there, they are certainly uh, resisting unto blood. But there shall not a hair of your head perish. So martyrdom is not the end. The, the, the physical death is not the end. We will sit, as we saw in Revelation 20, we will sit on thrones and we will reign with Christ and we will be with him for eternity. So this is about eternal life, not, not physical life, not this physical existence. In your patience possess your souls, and we understand that from Revelation, that in, in the patience of the saints is the understanding the judgment of God.
So, so John says the same thing, that these things I've spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. They're going to put us out of assemblies. The time comes that whoever kills you will think that he does God's service. And so that's very, very important for us to understand, that whoever kills us will think that he does God's service. And that, that is what's happening right now. It's, it's happening right now. Next, go to church, have Muslim kids throw stones at you. The new Europe. Is it soon to be the new Canada? Cornucopia, end a bit of show. Have a look at some of these pictures now. This is what happened. Uh, Muslims have been attacking Christians attending a Catholic celebration in southern France. Okay, this is the, the uh, Don Bosco celebration. It, it, it's Catholics who, who are just coming out of church and there's a feast then and so on. And once again, I mean, you know, the religion of peace once again proves it really is that. Muslim, look at these kids, they're throwing stones at people coming out of this celebration. They're welcomed into France, they're given all the benefits of living in a very civilized, beautiful country like France, and people are simply coming out of a Catholic church, and Muslim teens are throwing stones at them. Religion of peace. Take care. God bless. Goodbye. You know, uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn uh, made this incredibly insightful quote about ideology. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn, I would credit him with, you know, single-handedly bringing down the communist system uh, because of this book that he wrote, the, the Gulag Archipelago, uh, which just exposed what was really going on behind the Iron Curtain. And, and so many people in the West were thinking that communism was good, it was, you know, such a great thing to support. Uh, but he memorized everything that was going on and wrote this huge uh, book, or vol three volumes, and exposed it. But look at this incredibly insightful uh, comment that he made, or quote that he's, he's, he made here, regarding ideology. He says, ideology, that is what gives evil doing its long-sought justification, and gives the evildoer the necessary steadfastness and determination. Thanks to ideology, the 20th century was fated to experience evil doing on a scale calculated in the millions. And I would say, thanks to ideology, the 21st century is fated to experience evil doing on a scale calculated in the billions. It's going to be in the billions. Human, human life will mean nothing. But in order to kill on this level, it requires ideology. He says, this is what gives evil doing its long-sought justification and gives the evildoer the necessary steadfastness and determination. Without ideology, you know, you, maybe you can kill a couple of people and, and then you stop. It's like, okay, I killed a few people, I killed 10 people. But with ideology, you can kill people in the thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions and billions because this is the right thing to do and you've got everybody around you supporting you because you're all governed by this ideology. He says, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time comes that whoever kills you will think that he's doing God's service. And again, that comes from ideology. So there needs to be an ideology that people are, are driven by to persecute Christians. And all over the world, we're seeing this ideology spreading. And all over the world, wherever it spreads, we are seeing this, this focus on the persecution of Christians. So you know, buckle up. We have not yet resisted unto death. We've not yet resisted unto blood. Uh, just as the Hebrews were in front of the persecution, we also are in front of the persecution. 
and whoever kills us will think that he does God's service. And these things they will do unto you. Why? Because they have not known the Father nor me. The entire book of Revelation, and by the way, there's no Trinity here, it's the Father and Christ. And because they don't know the Father and Christ, this is why they are turning to persecute us. And I will say that we are heading into a time of syncretism. And we all have to figure out how to get along. And the way that we're all going to get along is to come up with a religion that everybody can accept. And, and the only way we can do this is to deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. As long as we can just say that, yeah, Jesus Christ is just a prophet. You know, he's just a man. He's just an ordinary prophet. Well, I mean, he's a prophet. We want to honor him. Then we can all get along. But we can't because Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is the creator. Jesus Christ is superior. And so this is who we are holding on to no matter what. And that's why Hebrews is beginning by saying, be careful lest the things that we have, you let them slip and it end tragically for us. But Christ has told us these things ahead of time. Why? So that when the time comes, we may remember that he told us of them. And he didn't tell at the beginning because he was with them. But truly, truly, he says, you shall weep and lament. This is in red letter. This is the words of Jesus Christ. This is what we have to face. You shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And you shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. So let's now come back to Hebrews with that as a background, as a backdrop. Uh, let's now get into this uh, book of Hebrews that says, God, who at different times and in different ways spoke in the past unto the fathers, the Israel, fathers in Israel, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So the, the, the argument's being set up here, the superiority of Jesus Christ. That in the past, it was through these different prophets who all had a, a piece of the puzzle, and in different ways, some in vision, some in dreams, some in direct revelation, but now it's by the Son who has the whole, the whole picture, whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. And notice now what Paul says in Romans, speaking of this inheritance, that we are children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God. So we also are going to be inheritors and, and joint heirs with Christ. So Christ is the heir, but we will be joint heirs with him. If so be, that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So this is the whole argument in, in Hebrews, is hold on. Don't, don't trade for some lesser, you know, like Esau turned, turned his back for a bowl of soup. And the Hebrews were in danger of turning away from that which is superior and going backward to that which is partial and, and inferior. Hold on to what we have, and you can be joint heirs. In Galatians, he says, When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we know from this Spirit that's within us that God is our Father. Therefore, you are no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is the superiority of Christ. 
that he will inherit all things. And we will, in, we, we will be joint heirs with him. What are we turning back to? What are we turning away from? We, we have one, one direction, and that's forward. And we have one vision, and that's the marriage with Jesus Christ, the, the eternal covenant with Jesus Christ. And we will not be distracted by anything. We will not be tempted by anything. We certainly will not be tempted by a syncretistic, made-up, nonsense religion that tries to discredit Jesus Christ. Continuing in Hebrews, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, this is who Christ is, the express image of God, and upholding all things by the word of his power. So he is, and we saw this in Revelation, that uh, God the Father is on his throne. Jesus Christ is on the throne beside the Father. He sits in the throne with the Father. They are in complete control of the whole universe. What are we worrying about? He says, not a hair of our head will perish. We just have to trust him and, and, and see through the lens of revelation what's going on around us and be encouraged here by this book of Hebrews. When he had by himself purged our sins, and again, we saw that in Revelation, uh, John wept because nobody could unseal the scroll and nobody could enact what was in the scroll because nobody was worthy. And then Jesus Christ, the Lamb, appeared, and he was worthy because he's the only one that was able to purge us from our sins and wash our sins away from us in his blood, in his righteous sacrifice. But notice that when he had purged, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So, you know, the, the Jews would understand this, that the Levitical priests, they never sat down. They were constantly working, straining themselves. It was constant work, lift, cutting, chopping. Uh, it was effort, breaking a sweat constantly. Christ came, purged our sins, and sat down and sat down behind the, the right hand of God. In fact, the only time we know he, that the document he stood up is when Stephen was being martyred. Stephen said he saw Christ standing beside God. But he, he sits down to say, so the work is done. Our sins are fully purged. Being made, and this is, this is the argument we're going to see so much in Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus Christ. Being made so much better than the angels. So first he's better than the prophets because they only got part of the message, and they were just prophets. But Christ is the Son, and He has the whole thing, and He's, he's the heir of all things. And now He moves to the angels, that, that Christ being made so much better than the angels. And, and in fact, in, in uh, this time, in Jewish custom, they really regarded the angels very highly, to the point that some might even accuse them of worshiping angels. But they held the angels in high, high regard, because the angels were the messengers of God, and they brought the revelations of God. And so you know, this Jewish nation understood that they had interaction with the angels of God, and they regarded them very highly. And, and, and Paul comes along here and says, Christ is so much better than the angels, as he has, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than all the angels. So he, he is, uh, by, by inheritance, has obtained this, this name that's, in fact, in Philippians 2, when we studied Philippians, we saw that God gave Christ a name that is above every name, and that every knee will bow to Christ, that he is superior. 
And so he has an, uh, a more excellent name than the angels. And then he continues the argument. He says, For unto which of the angels said he at any time? When, when did he ever say this to an angel? To, uh, as great as these angels are, you know, think Michael, think uh, Michael, Gabriel, uh, think of all these different angels. When did he ever say, You are my son? When did he ever say this to an angel? You are my son. This day I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When, when did God ever say that to any of the angels? As great as they are, as mighty as they are, as powerful as they are, when did God ever give them this honor? Never. And then here he's quoting Psalm 2, where in Psalm 2 David writes, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, you are my son, this day I have begotten thee. So this is a prophecy of Christ that this is it. God says this to Christ. Now, Paul actually quotes Psalm 2 when he is, um, <clears throat> he, he quotes Psalm 2 when he is, uh, in, in, we actually studied this in the book of Acts, when uh, in chapter 13, he's quoting Psalm 2, he says, And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree, and laid him in a sepulchre. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days of them which came up from, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. So many witnesses saw him. In Corinthians, he says over 500. And this is, this is just reality. Jesus Christ is, is the one that was dead, but now he's alive, and he's alive forevermore. He, the, the resurrection is what Christianity is all about, and we're gonna resist anybody who tries to tell us that Jesus Christ was not resurrected. He was seen many days, he was around for many days, of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. So they had a testimony. And we declare unto you good news, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, so he's quoting now this psalm, so he's saying this is the way it was written in the psalm, you are my son, this day I have begotten you. So we now understand what this psalm is all about because of Paul's preaching here in Acts. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So let's look at this psalm that uh, Paul was quoting and that uh, quoting in Acts, but also uh, we believe he's the author of Hebrews, or the author of Hebrews is also quoting. Let's look at the whole psalm here. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? So, so these people are, are raging, they're angry, they're resisting the will of God. They hate the plan of God. And, and they have another idea. They, they, they don't want what God wants, which is that all the whole world will come to him through Israel. And it's impossible to come into the New Jerusalem unless you come in through one of the gates of Israel. So you have to belong, you have to attach yourself to a tribe of Israel in order to come to God. And God will be known forever and ever and ever as the God of Israel. He, he identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel forever. And, and this is very upsetting to a lot of people. There, there's, there's ego involved. And, and there's just it just just sticks in their craw they can't stand it why did the heathen rage 
and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They're all of one mind and they're coming together. Let's figure this out, how we can overthrow the son against the Lord and against his anointed. So they, they, they hate God and they hate Christ. And what are they saying? Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is the insanity that the, that the devil implants in their minds. That they actually believe they can overthrow God and frustrate his purposes. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. They'll be in confusion. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath. So, so he's going to act, and that's what we're, we talk, spoke about the, the second Passover. And that the book of Revelation is all about us claiming the blood of Christ so that this wrath passes over us. And the plagues that come with this wrath will only be upon the heads of the wicked. And vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So they cannot frustrate this. This, this is going, this is the way, this is reality. God is the God of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, you are my son, this day have I begotten thee. So this is in the context of the Gentiles trying to resist God's will, and they cannot. The Father and the Son have a plan, they have a council, they have an agenda, no one can frustrate it. He says to Christ, ask of me, and I shall give you the heathen for your inheritance. So he said he, he's the heir of all things, beginning with all things on the earth, ultimately the whole universe, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. The, the earth is the Lord's, and the bounty, the fullness thereof. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and, and this is necessary. This, this is the only way to get them to stop worshiping the devil and acknowledge the God of Israel. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And that speaks to the wrath that God will have upon these people for their wickedness. Revelation says, he, you know, he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. But these are the true words of God. And, and you know, woe unto them who, who choose to be filthy when God is calling to righteousness. <clears throat> He shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be wise. Be instructed, you judges of the earth, you, you powerful, mighty men of the earth. Smarten up. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And this is our message. And this is our testimony. That God is king. He is king of the earth. And he's coming. And serve him with fear. And, with, and rejoice with trembling. I love this verse. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. And, and his wrath is going to be unbridled. This, this, uh, the, the, the wrath, this, this, uh, the wine press, and the wine of the wine press, it's going to be without mixture, undiluted. This, this is the wrath that's coming. So you smarten up. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Amen. And this is really what the author of Hebrews is saying to the Hebrews. Just put your trust in him, and you'll be blessed. Don't go backwards. Don't let go.
continuing in Hebrews, he says, And again, when he brings in the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. So the Jews are there thinking how great the angels are. And God says, Let all the angels of, the, uh, of God worship him. This is how great he is. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits, and his minister, or his ministers, his servants, <clears throat> a flame of fire. So again, this is how, how great and mighty these angels are. Uh, these spirits are like a, a flame of fire, but they're just angels. Unto the sun, but unto the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. So there's a, there's a big difference now between the angels who are servants and the sun who has a throne, an eternal throne with God. But unto the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And this is, this is what, you know, these false religions, they love iniquity. And we can always tell them, you can always spot these false religions because they're full of iniquity. They're full of sexual immorality. They're full of pedophilia. They're full of adultery, fornication, which is all worship of the devil. And we can spot them. But here God says that, <clears throat> that Christ loves righteousness. And this is, this is the hallmark of, of true doctrine. It results in true behavior. You know, uh, in Revelation we saw that, they, you know, as much as Christ, the, the Lamb, unleashes His wrath and His plagues on mankind, they would not repent of their murders and their sorceries and their theft and their fornication, their sexual immorality, because all of that has to do with the worship of the devil and their idolatry. And they just wouldn't stop. Their, this ideology has gotten such a hold of them. It has so infected them that he can't shake it loose. But Christ calls us to the righteousness that he loves, and he hates iniquity. And this is where we, that's where we looked at the epistles uh, from Christ to the church, telling us through the seven churches what he hates, what he hates, and telling us that he's against us if we tolerate these things, if we put up with these things, if we associate ourselves with these things. And you know, what really shook me when we were studying Revelation, when we came to the back of the book, when he warned that anybody who tampers, who adds to, the, to this Revelation, he'll add plagues to them, that, that are in the book, he'll add that to them. And anybody who takes away from the book, he'll take their, book, their name out of the book of life. And this book is written to the churches. So he's telling us that within the churches, there will be evil men who want to tamper, tamper with the word of God, who want to add to it, who want to take away from it. He wasn't, this isn't to the world. This is an address to the seven churches, which, which symbolize the church of God. And so within the church of God, we have to be careful that we are those who love righteousness and not among those who, who, are, who are tolerating iniquity. We have to hate iniquity because we love righteousness. And because he loves righteousness and hates iniquity, therefore God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. And so he is anointed as our high priest. 
He's anointed as our king, king of kings, and it's the oil of gladness. Notice this, above your fellows. So Christ is given a name that's above every name. And here he's quoting from David in Psalm 45. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a right scepter. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. So this is just the beauty of God's word that you know he's spoken to us by the prophets they didn't have the whole picture but what they had was true and when we bring in the book of Revelation we can now collect all of these prophecies and put them all together it, it's funny it, it's not really funny but uh, I don't know how either how else to say it but when the true last revelation of God comes to us the message to us is go and get all the other revelation that's come from God and study that so that you can understand this more fully. When false revelation comes to us, when people come to us and say, this is the final word of God, and so you need to accept this, and in accepting this, reject all the other prophets and all the other prophecies, burn them, never look at them again, have nothing to do with them, they're now illegal, and only use this final revelation, quote-unquote, uh, from God. That, that's nonsensical. Doesn't it make a whole lot more sense that God, who is God, never has to abrogate what he speaks? That he speaks and that's it. it his, his word does not return to him, not fulfilling what he set out to do. His word does not return to him in vain. That his counsel stands. He's not guessing. He's God. And so he says, this is the way it's going to be. And then when he gives his final revelation, it, it shows you how everything that he ever said is going to be fulfilled. And the idea is to go back and study all those prophets so that you can understand exactly what he's saying in the final revelation. It's just a wonderful. You have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness. He is now quoting David, the prophet David in Psalm 45. And you, Lord, in the beginning have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They shall perish, but you remain. They shall all wax old as does a garment. So this is amazing. Uh, again, Revelation gives us insight into this, that the earth and the heavens, so he laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of his hands, but they shall perish. But you remain and they shall wax old as does a garment. And I think we've all had the experience of having maybe a, a, a piece of clothing that we've really enjoyed, and we've worn it so much that it begins to fray. And finally we have to give it up because it's just old. Well, Revelation tells us that this earth and the heavens are going to perish. They're going to be replaced. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And this, this current system, this current earth, current heavens, they're going to wax old. But God remains forever. And here he's uh, quoting from Psalm 102, again the prophet David, Of old have you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They shall perish, but you shall endure. Yes, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shall you change them and they shall be changed. So there's another place where he says the earth abides forever. But here he's saying that they, they, you know, they're going to wax old, 
but they'll be changed. It's not that the earth disappears, it's that it's going to be changed. It's not that the heavens disappear, they're going to be changed. But you are the same, and your years shall have no end. This is the God that we serve. This is the great God. He says that he, he, he abides forever. And that's what he said, you know, I am he that lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, forevermore. And as a vesture, you shall fold them up and they shall be changed. So again, quoting the, 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 the it's one voice. God is consistent. His plan is consistent. They shall be changed. But you are the same and your years shall not fail. Again, quoting David. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And this actually was quite an insult uh, for any enemy. So here you see a picture of the Assyrian king uh, using an enemy as a footstool. So they have to come and bow low before him. And he puts his feet on them to show their absolute subjugation. And, and when did God ever say to an angel, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? But this is exactly what he said to Jesus. In Psalm 110, David writes, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit you at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Woe unto those who fight against Jesus Christ, and woe unto those who turn their back on Jesus Christ. We, we, we need to be sure that we are not among those who betray Jesus Christ. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule you in the midst of your enemies. So these kings of the earth think that they're going into something great, they're building this, they're going to build this incredible empire, and, and we know, looking at all of this, it's all temporary. And this whole Babylonian system is going to be brought down. And all of these powerful and mighty men are going to be the footstool of Christ when he sits in his throne. And we will sit with him, just as he sat with his father in his throne, we're going to sit with him in his throne. Continuing Hebrews, uh, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So, so these angels who are so powerful and so mighty, you know what? They're our servants. And we're going to inherit salvation with the Son. And so the angels, we're below the Son, and the angels are below us. And so this, Ju this Judaic understanding of how great the angels are, uh, Paul is coming along and just chopping that down, and just showing the superiority of Jesus Christ. And so with all of that argumentation, he says, therefore, because of the superiority of Jesus Christ, we ought to give heed, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And this book, Hebrews, and the book of Revelation, uh, this, these, they, they knock the, the doctrine of once saved, always saved on the head. That's out. This is very, very clear. What you've got, hold on to it. Don't let it slip. And Jesus Christ gave us this revelation to show us everything that's going to happen. And in John 16, and in Luke 21, and Matthew 24, he's telling us ahead of time, here, the wicked will wax worse and worse. That in the, in the last times, 
the Spirit expressly says that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to doctrines of demons. And so Christ is telling us all of this ahead of time so that we can just be resolved. Okay, I get it. I see. The, the, the devil has a short time to be like the Most High. He's going to deceive the wicked. They're going to, in turn, not only be deceived, but they're also going to deceive others. And everybody's going to be worshipping the beast. But not us. Not us. And we're going to resist no matter what. We are going to have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so all of this is given to us ahead of time so that we will fight the good fight. And then he says, He who endures unto the end, the same shall be saved. It's not, yeah, don't worry about it, relax, don't worry. You know, a lot of people who believe in one saved always say, they're living in the lap of luxury. They're not running for their life. They're not seeing people slaughtered in the most brutal ways in front of them. You know, this is, Christ is telling us ahead of time, no matter what, hold on. And that's the message right now. Because of the superiority of Christ, we better not let go. Just as in the face of persecution, are we going to let go? No. Therefore, because of the superiority, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And that's the whole contest. Who will hold on to the end? For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every so, so there's nothing that the angels spoke that had to be abrogated. It was steadfast. What they said was true. And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. So, you know, sin was punished by these words, by, by this revelation, this understanding of God's law that was given to them and delivered to them by angels. It was punished. So if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Like, <laughs> is there any way that, what, what excuse do we have? If now that we understand this great salvation that we are called to, that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that we are to inherit all things with Him, how on earth shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? So the Lord Himself spoke this salvation and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. And this actually is the, you know, there were, I said there were two big arguments against Pauline authorship of Hebrews. One is the sophistication of the Greek. And, and Paul makes it very clear that he became all things to all men, that by any means he might save some. So Paul was a highly educated man, highly educated Hebrew scholar, a highly educated Greek intellectual. Uh, he was the man for the job. And he said he became all things to all men, that by any means he might save some. And so he would have the ability to talk on multiple levels. So I don't think the uh, sophistication of the Greek should bother us. Also, it is quite possible that Luke, as his assistant, a very educated man, would have worked with the language just to make sure that it was you know, of the highest caliber. Sure, within no problem. That still does not negate the Pauline authorship. 
The other big argument is this one, that here Paul says that this salvation, this good news that was spoken of by the Lord, was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And, and this, this goes against Paul's insistence that he didn't go to Jerusalem to receive the gospel, that he received the gospel directly from Jesus Christ. He was in no way inferior to the other apostles because he had a direct relationship with Christ. And so they use this to say, see, it can't be Paul. Uh, but I think that's just silly. Paul is writing to, if it is Paul, he's writing to the Hebrews and he's identifying with them. He's saying us as we the Jews versus the Gentiles. Uh, th this message was spoken by the Lord and it was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. And, he's, and in many places through this book, uh, even though he's not unfaithful, he speaks about us and he, he identifies himself with the Hebrew community. So this is uh, Hebrews. We've, we've now covered chapter one, just a little bit of chapter two. We will continue uh, next week with uh, uh, chapter two. And uh, just again, I want to make sure that as we study Hebrews, it's not just a look back in history to see what happened to the early church and there was this Jewish community and they were thinking of, of uh, apostasy. That the revelation shows us that we are in for a more intense persecution than what the Hebrews had to face. And the prophecy tells us there's a great apostasy, that there's going to be a great falling away, that before Christ comes, will, will he find faith on the earth? And so this book of Hebrews, which is all about faith, uh, I'm so glad that we're inspired to study this after studying Revelation. Now that we have the big picture, uh, we need to fortify ourselves and we need to be strengthened. So with that, I'll say goodnight. Uh, God willing, I'll see you on Monday night as we continue in the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's our Savior. He's the King of Kings. To Him be praise.